having healthy wrists can easily be taken for granted. On a scale of seriousness, wrist injuries may or may not seem that serious, but if you've ever had a wrist injury, you would understand how disabling these can be. But a new study is combining both MRI technology to assess patients that have wrist injuries and then provide information to the surgeons or therapists. Specifically, we want to be able to tell them which ligaments are most likely impacting the patient with motion analysis. To develop not just the animation, but really a mathematical model of how the bones, the joints, and the muscles are moving and behaving with different activities. Discover an MRI research study that's all in the wrist inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter's Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Our show today focuses on a study using MRI technology to better diagnose and treat conditions of the wrist. But before we get to that, let's learn a bit about our wrists. We all have them, two to be exact, but what do they consist of? And how important is wrist health? We asked an expert. Dr. Stephen Grindel is a professor, Department of Surgery, Division of Orthopedic Surgery, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and an orthopedic surgeon and division head of hand and upper extremity surgery at Freighter's Hospital, who begins by observing that having strong, healthy wrists is something that, well, frankly... We sort of take our upper extremities for granted. A person's wrist can look quite normal, but could really have a disabling injury that could affect their life meaning even a small wrist injury can disrupt life in big ways. A small sprain to one of the ligaments in the wrist can make it difficult for you to participate in activities that would require motion or force generated across the wrist. We all know where our wrists are, but what do our wrists consist of? The wrist is a series of eight bones that sit between your hand bones and the long bones of your forearm. And the wrist has to be able to move around in a wide degree of angles and also have enough stability to lift things. As far as the exact structure of our wrists... There's ligaments that connect the bones together, and then there are these eight small bones that span between the forearm and the hand. Now, within the wrist, there's a number of subclassifications of joints, so there's multiple little joints within the wrist itself. Dr. Grindel says wrist conditions generally fall into two classes degenerative changes and injuries. Looking first at degenerative changes, this essentially is a form 
form of arthritis. And these usually occur in young, healthy people after a trauma. So they could have a significant ligament sprain or a fracture of one of the small bones of the wrist, which can lead to pain and weakness and limited range of motion. So is degenerative change synonymous with arthritis? Well, not entirely. If you could see a simple x-ray of a wrist and you see what we're terming degenerative changes, that is arthritis. But there are also degenerative changes that can occur to ligaments. Which you don't see on an x-ray. So degeneration can be a ligament issue, but mostly when we refer to that, it's an arthritis issue. What are common treatments for degenerative changes in the wrist? For acute or short-term conditions... Physical or occupational therapy can be helpful in helping decrease the inflammation and improve the range of motion and the strength. So treatments initially would be rest, sometimes with a splint, therapy, occasionally an injection of corticosteroid and some numbing medicine. And for chronic or long-term conditions... Surgeries, which we perform, either to stabilize the wrist or in more severe situations where the arthritis is bad, sometimes we remove some bones in the wrist to help bypass the problem, and occasionally we'll fuse bones in the wrist so they don't move any longer. What about wrist injuries? What are the most common types? We see simple things like slipping and falling. If you're using a drill and it causes a forceful torque of your wrist, any torquing injury can also cause ligament injuries and then degenerative changes that follow. Treatment requires first determining severity of the injury. You would typically have a physical exam and take x-rays. Based on what we find there, we may order an MRI, we may order an ultrasound, or we may order a CT scan if we're still unclear as to the problem. Then, once the extent of the injury is determined... Treatment options would include rest if it's not a bad problem. Other treatment options would include consideration for targeted steroid injection into the area. And again, in serious cases... Then sometimes surgery is needed. And the surgeries are varied. They can be repairing ligaments that are injured, reconstructing ligaments that have been torn and can't be simply repaired, or taking out or fusing bones in the wrist. Later, we'll discover a study using MRI technology in diagnosing and treating degenerative conditions and injuries of the wrist. How key is MRI technology in clinical practice? MRIs are excellent. They not only give you insight into the ligaments that are injured, but they can show you acute or chronic findings that other technologies can't. So if somebody that you suspect tore a ligament in the wrist, MRI is the best technology for this. Once a wrist has an issue, is it more prone to re-injury or return of a condition? Very good question. The answer is absolutely yes. That's why I think you really want to take care of it sooner rather than later and hopefully get you back to a status that's close to pre-injury as you can. Which, if you've had an issue, is important because... On a scale of seriousness, wrist injuries may or may not seem that serious. But if you've ever had a wrist injury, you would understand how disabling these can be. And just simple things can be curtailed. With a better understanding of the form and function of the wrist, let's now discover an ongoing research study of the wrist utilizing magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI, technology. Dr. Kevin Koch is a professor and co-vice chair of research, Department of Radiology, and executive director of the Center for Imaging Research at the Medical College of Wisconsin. 
who says this study is designed to develop methods for quantitative kinematic profiling of moving joints using MRI. And ultimately, it's kind of like an MRI movie of the wrist to look at how bones within the wrist are moving relative to one another. He says MRI technology is the key to this study because MRI is the gold standard for advanced orthopedic assessment for this type of a dynamic analysis of the wrist bones. We were able to create some simple and easily digestible dynamic imaging reports of how the carpal bones in the wrist are moving using conventional clinical MRI equipment. The study has three specific aims. The first aim of the project was to see if we could develop an MRI acquisition and processing approach that would allow us to collect the data and track how these carpal bones are moving within the wrist because that had never been done before. The second aim to see if we could correlate what we were seeing in the MRI motion with conventional motion capture measurements. We'll hear more about that later on this show. The third aim of the study is to collect MRI data and the motion capture data on people that don't have any known wrist issues. We just wanted to see how consistent and how the basic profiles would look like in people without any type of pathology. So we just wanted to set a baseline. Which means this study utilized healthy patients. Because we're just trying to develop what the technology can do and whether or not it's going to be useful. Although a smaller pilot study was conducted as follow-up that recruited subjects that had clinically diagnosed wrist injuries to check and see if there were some obvious differences in the dynamic measurements that we were making. All of which sets the stage for a proposed future study looking at patients that have wrist instability. And within that, we're even going to look at scaffold lunate instability, the most common form of instability in the wrist. Dr. Koch says the current study gathers quantitative movement of joints using kinematic joint profiling which is basically a plot or a graph in time of how a given bone moves during a typical wrist motion cycle. In order to develop those profiles, you need to come up with some characterizations of the bone's movement. He and his team specifically look at how the bones translate, i.e. how they move sort of within space, also how they rotate during motion. And then you plot those changes as a function of time, and that gives you a profile of how the individual carpal bones are moving. How does kinematic joint profiling provide better quantitative measurements in moving joints by using MRI technology? Imagine we had a patient and they had some speculated ligament damage. You can have partial or complete tears of those ligaments, and if you don't treat it, it can lead to further damage and cartilage loss and other things. Traditionally, doctors would look at possible instability in the wrist. Just using standard radiographs, and then they would go to an MRI. Because the MRI has really nice soft tissue contrast, they'd be able to look at different ligament ruptures or tears. But the traditional diagnosis process provides limited insight. On how those different ligaments and the ruptures that are there are going to impact this instability pattern that the patient sees. This creates quite a conundrum for the physicians and the surgeons because they can see there's pathology there, but they don't quite know how to address that pathology in order to fix the instability they're seeing. And sometimes they don't really see it. 
However, dynamic imaging using kinematic joint profiling has the potential to isolate sources of wrist instability. We can identify patterns where if a bone is moving a certain way, it means this ligament over here is damaged and that is what is driving the instability pattern. And that will then give surgeons information on how to move forward and treat that patient rather than just chasing the obvious things on the static imaging. Therefore, it's hoped that study data leads to better diagnoses, treatments, and outcomes for wrist conditions and injuries. The static imaging technologies that we have, they're not necessarily going to show us the key piece of information causing the instability of these risks. This dynamic approach we have could potentially give them the information they need to manage those conditions. This study Dr. Koch is co-leading has two parts. The first part requiring participants to undergo an MRI of their wrists. What exactly is an MRI? MRI stands for magnetic resonance imaging. It's a type of medical imaging that's used to diagnose or monitor a lot of different conditions in medicine. What does having an MRI involve? Patients are going to have to lie within a powerful magnetic field created by superconducting electromagnets. That's the tube in an MRI scanner when you go in. How does MRI technology work? We use radio frequency pulses and we use smaller electromagnets to encode signals from the magnetism of molecules in our body. The electromagnets rapidly switching their currents in order to encode signals that we're using to localize the magnetism within the body. We then take that data and we do some complicated mathematics on the magnetic signals that we're measuring and we create images of the tissues and the bone within the body. Doctors can then use these images of structures inside our body to diagnose and monitor a lot of different conditions. MRI is generally considered to have the best tissue and bone contrast of all existing imaging modalities right now. Is MRI technology safe? Short answer, yes. MRI is non-invasive, safe, and painless. It does not use any ionizing radiation. X-rays, CTs, and PET imaging technologies, those all use ionizing radiation. MRI does not, which makes it very optimal for research studies. And he, of all people, knows MRIs are safe. It's totally safe to be in there. I can't tell you how many hours I've sat in MRI scanners. And if there was something dangerous about being in an MRI scanner, I certainly would be vulnerable to whatever those risks would be. How long does an MRI take to get good imaging? A typical exam lasts for about 30 to 90 minutes. We had participants in for about 60 to 75 minutes within this research study. But while MRIs take a bit longer, it's hoped kinematic joint profiling is a better method for gaining superior imaging data. We were able to create some simple and easily digestible dynamic imaging reports of how the carpal bones in the wrist are moving. And we can do that using conventional clinical MRI equipment. And that type of technology could eventually be used to assess, treat, and follow up on patients that are suffering from a lot of different types of wrist instability. Leading to improved clinical workflow and outcomes. Ultimately, we want to use this method to assess patients that have wrist injuries and then provide information to the surgeons or therapists. Specifically, we want to be able to tell them which ligaments are most likely impacting the patient and what could be done to address the problem. Dr. Koch says MRI technology has come a long way compared to where it began in the 1980s. And 
interestingly, Prater had one of the first MRI scanners in the clinic. So this campus has been involved since the very beginning. MRI scans since that time have increased in their resolution. Still not fast enough, but we also are providing a lot more quantitative data. So now instead of just seeing pictures, we can actually provide numbers. In fact, it's this data collected that's most useful in the MRI wrist study. With the wrist, we're not just providing pictures. As a matter of fact, the pictures aren't very valuable from what we do. What we're providing are actual numbers that are characterizing what those carpal bone motions look like and what they're doing. Dr. Stephen Grindell agrees that this study and its outcomes are indeed important. MRI has evolved in my career for sure, and it's getting to be incredibly accurate. Because the bones and the ligaments in the wrist are so small, former MRI technology wasn't quite as sensitive or specific enough to help tease out more subtle issues. This study is going to help us understand much better normal and abnormal anatomy to help correlate it with the clinical picture. If you want to learn more about the science of MRI technology, there's a really cool site called radiopedia.org. Go to the MRI section of that page. It talks a lot about the basics of MRI, the advantages, disadvantages, some history, and then some links to specific applications where MRI is used. Dr. Koch is excited about his team's work and achieving the aims of the wrist MRI study, and for good reason. It's working. Not everything works out as planned. Some of these concepts don't work out the way that you had hoped. This was one of those projects that worked. There was no preliminary data. This was an idea, and we really didn't know if this was going to work or how well it was going to work. So we're really excited to be something that has some potential to be used in the clinic. Next, we discover the second part of this study, which takes the MRI kinematic joint profiles and data and compares it to a complete motion analysis done on the wrists of each study participant. This part of the study is being conducted at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's Mobility Lab. Dr. Brooke Slavens is the director, who tells us the Mobility Lab's full and official name. Analysis for Biomedical Innovation and Technology Laboratory. So I wanted it to really encompass all of what we do, but also be something simple that everyone can remember and relate to through mobility. And she continues by explaining exactly what the lab is all about. The Mobility Lab is a UWM academic research lab focused on improving health and function of individuals with orthopedic and neurorehabilitation conditions, engaging all different clinical partners, trying to enhance health and improve quality of life of individuals. The laboratory's team does all of this with a very clear mission. Our mission is to apply translational research through advanced technology to improve health and function of different persons with disabilities. Really looking to apply the latest quantitative rehabilitation engineering technologies to help someone better their life. The lab carries out their mission by guiding patients in both setting and achieving important goals. Most of our work studies the shoulder, arm, and hand, and we use different biomedical and rehabilitation engineering applications to look at movement, function, and pain to really help individuals get back to 
to their normal activities after they've gone through a surgery or have maybe a long-term type of medical condition. So we're trying to help individuals get back to what they like to do and lead a healthy life. How and when did the UWM Mobility Laboratory come into existence? The Mobility Lab started in 2014 through an effort by the UWM Foundation. They developed the Innovation Campus, and this was developed to really stimulate and accelerate biomedical research and innovation in Milwaukee. It was founded to really help merge and work together with business and industry as an academic research lab However, while it's an important part of UWM, the Innovation Campus, including the Mobility Laboratory, isn't on the UWM main campus, but instead, its location is a location in the Milwaukee County Regional Medical Center. And this is a really fantastic location to be. We're in really close proximity to all of our clinical collaborators, including Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin, Children's Wisconsin, and also the Milwaukee VA Medical Center. This geographical proximity to collaborative partner institutions is key to the laboratory's research. Not only because it's kind of a high-profile, high tech place to be, but it's really engaging for our patients, research participants, as well as their families. And this is a great central location for us to be and is important really for the clinical and translational research that we're doing so that we can be physically close to our collaborators. So it really makes it easy for everyone to be here. Including for this wrist MRI study. After undergoing an MRI of their wrists, study participants go to the mobility lab for a complete motion analysis of their wrists. Motion analysis is a comprehensive analysis measuring and recording movement. For this study in particular, we're looking at movement of the wrist, both in those with wrist pain or wrist instability, and also with healthy individuals to allow us to compare differences between the two. So we're using motion analysis to determine normal movement or abnormal movement patterns of the wrist and the hand. Dr. Slavens tells us study participants do a series of tasks as part of their motion analysis. We're looking at simple tasks that someone might do in their everyday life because that's what we all need to get back to the different things that one might be doing throughout the course of the day. So, for example, individuals go through different movements such as drinking from a cup, eating, movements of flexion and extension, open and closing of the hand. So we can have a three-dimensional comprehensive assessment of complex movements over time. How are these motions captured and recorded? She describes what participants experience in the lab. in the center of a room and you can picture 15 cameras around them that use infrared technology to record the motion. What's the difference between recording motion using infrared cameras versus typical video cameras? The 
infrared cameras only see something that is reflecting light back to the cameras. So it doesn't record anyone as we would normally see in a photograph or standard video taken from your phone. Instead, the infrared cameras see different reflective sensors placed on the study participant. We strategically tape markers onto bony locations and the camera system can locate that point. We use different sensors to measure movements or even forces of the body through our muscles and our bones. So the cameras can capture anything from the feet up to the head. And in addition to measuring motion, sensors measuring another critical component. Pain is another primary symptom of the diseases that we study, and particularly with the wrist. It's important that you're pain-free. So we also look to see if there's different movements correlated to pain that someone might want to stay away from. But then once you rehab yourself, you could engage in those activities pain-free. If this type of motion sensor technology seems familiar, it probably is. Motion analysis itself is the same technology a lot of us have seen in filmmaking for CGI effects. Avatar or Star Wars are great examples of that. But whereas Hollywood uses the technology to let you see things you're really not, in this application, motion sensor technology helps doctors see what the human eye cannot. With visual observation alone, it might look as if we're normal or you may not have pain, but there actually could be an underlying dysfunction of the bones or the joints that this system would be very sensitive and really good at detecting that we may not be able to visually see or observe ourselves. Thereby allowing this portion of the study to work hand in hand with the MRI portion. So it gives us some more powerful information than what we could obtain just by looking at someone move their wrist. And we use that to develop not just the animation, but really a mathematical model of how the bones, the joints, and the muscles are moving and behaving. And we can combine this with the first part of the study from Dr. Koch's lab to really look more closely at the bones and how those are moving with different activities. Once a participant completes the MRI and the motion analysis, both sides come together to review the data. And compare that with healthy individuals as well as those that might have pain and other symptoms. This gives us perspectives of radiologists, surgeons, engineers, kinesiologists, all together to know what is the best step forward for this individual. Because based on the data, the options are many. Is it a conservative treatment such as physical therapy or occupational therapy, or is it surgical? Or is it just more strengthening and activities or activity avoidance? This type of comprehensive risk motion assessment. And at that point, participation in the study is complete. It's really easy for participants to be a part of our work. We only have them come to us once and we can do a full comprehensive session within about an hour to an hour and a half. And there's no additional follow-up required of the study. In addition to this study, 
The Mobility Laboratory is currently conducting several other studies. One of our primary areas right now is looking at wheelchair users and how we can help prevent them from having secondary medical conditions resulting from using a wheelchair repetitively. So we are working with kids and adults with spinal cord injury, spina bifida, or other conditions of the spine. Dr. Slavens wants everyone to know that when it comes to treating injury or pain, you have options. There's always a path for improvement and change. There's a lot of new technology for enhancing and preventing different injuries and ailments. Identifying dysfunction or treatment progress can really help move you towards the most favorable path for treatment. There's many options beyond surgery. Don't hesitate to reach out to us to get ideas of other, more conservative methods for moving forward. And even if you're 100% healthy. Get involved in research. You will get introduced to new methods and cutting-edge technologies. And this is something that I think is really powerful, especially because of the CTSI and all of the resources that we have. We really want to work with everyone to help enhance your life. That's all the time we have for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. As always, thanks to all of our guests for appearing on today's show. Dr. Stephen Grindel. Dr. Kevin Koch and Dr. Brooke Slavens. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.